Well, good morning, and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. That's pretty cool. It doesn't always fall on a Sunday. Uh, and so in honor of St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and if they are not wearing green, leave them alone. <laughs> Don't pinch anyone. What a stupid idea. <laughs> Didn't we learn that in preschool? Don't pinch your neighbor. Just don't do it. Good grief. What kind of tradition? But yeah, today is St. Patrick's Day. And so it's the day when we buy green donuts and green beer and turn the Boston River green. Fun fact, uh, the liturgical cover colors associated with Patrick are actually blue and gold, not green. So sorry, marketing campaigns. Uh, how about this? Pop quiz. I'm going to ask you a question. It's not rhetorical. How many saints' days are there on the calendar? Days like St. Patrick's or St. Valentine. How many days? Shout it out. What do you think? 742. No, a little high. 18? Did I hear 18? More than that. It's in the hundreds. 565? Oh, it's 560. There are 560 saints that the uh, church puts on the liturgical calendar, people that ought to be remembered and celebrated in certain traditions. Uh, but that's a lot, right? That's more than there, some people have to share. There's only 365 days, and we've put 560 days on those days. But St. Patrick uh, gets his own. Somehow, St. Patrick gets to be one of these guys whose names we remember. Uh, somehow his feast has jumped from the liturgical calendar to the pantheon of cultural heroes. It's a cultural event, and his name is recognized, and most of our friends can pick out um, his iconography. But most of our knowledge about Patrick is either very shallow or very wrong. Like what I said a minute ago, his color is not green. Green just isn't his color. Um, his work has exactly nothing to do with snakes. There were no snakes on that island before he got there. How about this? As uh, Mark pointed out, his name was not Patrick, and he is not Irish. We actually know very little about this dude. Most of what he wrote has been lost. Um, if you want to read Patrick, you can go find the, the prayer that we used called the breastplate. You can read his confession or uh, a letter. That's about what we have. Uh, a few blessings that have been attributed to him. A few lines of a sermon has survived. There's a letter, maybe two. We're not entirely sure because we see it in a couple different ways. A confession and a prayer. Everything else we know about Patrick, we know because other people wrote it about him. And so we've pieced together this guy, pulled him out of history and put him back together. Uh, some of the details, like the exact date of his birth, are still missing. Um, but we've, we've reconstructed. We've done our best. And we've found quite an incredible life in the pieces that we've been able to pull together. Uh, he was born under the name, good job, Maywin Sakotes. It's a good, not Irish name. Uh, somewhere in the 5th century, either in, he's probably 
Uh, somewhere in Britannia or Bethany, there's conflicting reports from what is said about him and what he says about himself. Uh, so somewhere on, in the, on the west coast of Europe, young Patron, a pagan and a citizen of the Holy Roman Empire, will be kidnapped. He's kidnapped by Celtic Vikings. This is a good way to start any good story, right? Kidnapped from his farm by Celtic Vikings. It sounds like Princess Bride. He's uh, kidnapped by Celtic Vikings and sold as a slave to a Druid chieftain somewhere in Ireland. Now, it's important to note how truly foreign the Irish were. The Celtic people were completely different from the rest of the West. The Roman Empire and its various forms had never managed to conquer them or to tame their barbarianism through trade or politics or language. They were pagan Vikings, known to be extremely dangerous and unpredictable. These were wild, magical people, a leftover remnant of the Europe that was before the Romans civilized the continent. It was while living as a slave that Patrick converts to Christianity. When one night, as a slave, he receives instructions from a heavenly voice that guide him to escape back to what we know now as England. There he joined a monastery and studies to join the priesthood. And it's during this time that Patrick has another vision. This time the voice is not the disembodied voice of God, but the voice of one of his Celtic taskmasters calling him back to Ireland. The vision says, come walk among us again. And so at the age of 48, Maywin Sukkot took the name Patrick and was named, this is kind of neat, either by the church or he gave himself the title, we're not entirely sure, but Patrick becomes the Bishop of Ireland and found a ship headed for the land of his former enslavement. And to make a lifelong, long story very short, the gospel prevails. Patrick preaches a bold gospel in Ireland. He travels the untamed country. He confronts the Druid priests and attempts to reconcile with his former slave master. Patrick's witness, preaching, and ministry transformed the island of Ireland. But the church that Jesus would call forth from the ministry of Patrick was unique, something new, the faith of the Celts would look strikingly different from anywhere else in the Christian world. You see, Christian evangelism during this time was on behalf of the state as much as it was on behalf of the church. Christianizing and colonizing were two sides of the same coin. So when someone became a Christian, they basically also became a Roman, Salvation meant joining the empire of Rome as much as it meant joining the kingdom of God. But it wasn't like that for Patrick. He didn't want to create colonies of Rome. Rather, he wanted to create colonies of heaven. When Patrick and those after him, in the legacy of great Celtic evangelists and leaders, would come to a new village or town or clan or community, they would begin with curiosity rather than certainty. These great heroes like Patrick, Columba, Brigid, Adrian, Aidan, and countless faithful 
whose names are lost to history, would come to people and ask them, what's, what's different here? What's important to you? What's good about your community? And they might be told, this community, oh, has a music stand. This community is very special. <laughs> here, you see, this village is protected by a sacred well. It blesses us not only with water, but with children and peace and prosperity. We pray to the well and our harvest comes in on time. The rivers are full of fish and the woods teem with game. And so allow me to imagine a Celtic response. So a Celtic sermon might go something like this. Wow, this magic well sounds truly beautiful. A Celtic evangelist might say, can I tell you the truth now behind the well? This well, dear friends, is a glorious gift, but not the source of these blessings. The well, its waters, and the gifts that it is placed among you point towards the higher truth of Christ, who is and always has been the eternal wellspring of life. This Jesus is the source of living water, true refreshment, and indeed, every good gift. The Celtic evangelist might continue. Let me tell you what else. This Jesus of mine has given you this well that you may come to know him and trust in him. And not only the well, but the sea and the sky, and the field, and your home, the way the sunrise paints the morning sky, and the moon lights the night, the taste of good beer, the laughter among friends, good food, good conversation, the sense of accomplishment after a hard day's work, and the quiet rest of deep sleep, the sound of a child's laughter, and the way you feel when you look into your lover's eyes. That is Jesus already at work in your life. You see, Jesus is the source of every good gift and is beckoning you to follow him, to lay down your brokenness and find yourself more alive than you have ever been. Jesus is like this well, and he is inviting you to dive headfirst in and discover that there is no bottom, no end, only more and more love and more and more life. St. Patrick and those who came after him were masters of the obvious. They learned to spot and claim the works of God wherever they found them. And this created a new kind of church. Their churches were not cloisters, but community centers. Their leadership was shockingly egalitarian for its time. Faith development was carried out in the context of deep, meaningful friendships rather than top-down patriarchy. They were masters of the obvious. But their actions are not without precedent. Let's uh, take a look at Paul on Mars Hill uh, for our reading today from Acts chapter 17. I'll start at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's regrouping with his missionary buddies, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. That's Greeks who had come to join the Yahweh religion. As well as those in the marketplace. Day by day, 
with those who happen to be there. So Paul's walking around talking about Jesus. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler saying? What is he talking about? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. That's my Stoic philosopher voice. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to um, a meeting place, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some very strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. You see, I love this parenthetical here. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood in the meeting place and said, People of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, and I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. You, you know, you got to cover your bases. He says, So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I have come to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, but does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands like he needs anything from us. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made of human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day that he will judge the world with justice through the man that he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead." Do you see what Paul's doing here? Do you see what he's up to? He goes to the very center of philosophy, wisdom, technology, and learning in the ancient world. And how is he going to approach him? Paul of Tarsus, this trained, confident, intellectual giant with an incredible mastery of the scriptures, educated in both Greek and Hebrew philosophy. What's he going to do? What's his play? This is the perfect time for him to show off his chops and impress these folks. So what does he do? He becomes a master of the obvious. He sees how God is already at work around the Athenians, and he claims it. Your own prophets have said, I found an altar with this inscription. He finds what God's already up to among them. And from these places, he presents the truth of God the love of Christ, and an invitation to repentance and new life. And some believed, and a colony of heaven was planted in Athens. How might our world 
begin to change, if our conversations about life, love, family, community, church, God, if we dropped all the religious talk and got rid of the church speak and did away with the pretense and posturing that often comes along with these sorts of conversations and just became masters of the obvious, humbly noticing and claiming all good, true, and beautiful things around us for what they are, gracious gifts from a loving God. It could change the way that you perceive everything, this sort of paradigm shift. It it would change the way we evangelize, the way we talk to others about Christ. It, It would change the way we think about God and how we think about our community and our own lives and our life together as a church. As we start to recognize the works of God all around us, we may start to realize that this is not just a social club. This space is not just a religious organization or another institution, but that we are, in fact, living together as pioneers in a colony of heaven. Amen. Would you all pray with me? God of every good gift, we thank you that you are not far from any of us, that you have put so much good around us, that you are working so much good for us, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not left us alone in this horrifying world. There's so much destruction and evil afoot. We, we only need to turn on the news for a minute to hear of horrifying acts of hatred and violence around the world. And, and we reject them because we can claim another way forward. Because we can recognize that while things may be entropying, things may be falling apart, while violence and hate may be afoot, that the goodness of God is present around us. That for those who ask and seek and knock, there is another reality behind a thin veil. The the Celtic tradition uh, had an idea of thin places that on boundaries like the edge of a forest or dusk or dawn or a doorway or the edge of a sea, that those kind of places the magical world could bleed into ours. We live as a church in a thin place between this reality and the kingdom of God, the world as it should be. We ask that you would give us the courage to push farther and farther into your kingdom and that we would have the audacity to colonize this world with colonies of heaven. Amen. This morning, we have a part of our service built in for you to respond Maybe something spoke to you today. Maybe, maybe the uh, blessings or the prayers from Patrick or the reading from First John or Paul's actions at Mars Hill or the beauty of the music. A handshake or a smile from a neighbor. Maybe you found God there this morning. During this next song, there's space for you to respond. And whatever that means for you, uh, to sing, to pray, to sit quietly, to come forward and pray. If you come forward and pray, someone else from this community will come and pray with you. Just watch them. They always do. If you'd like to talk to me or pray with me, I'll be up here as well.